You're listening to Supply Chain Radio. My name is Matt Gunn. Got Guy Ten with me. Hi, Guy. Matt, how's it going? I'm doing well. I'm doing even better now that one of our frequent guests is joined us. Guests. Esteemed guest. Esteemed guest. I think I'm guest emeritus at this point. I, I think you'd, uh, yeah. I think you, you're, you're you actually have a share in the podcast at this point. Eric Johnson of Journal of Commerce. Hi, Eric. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Doing okay. All right. Last time we, you were on the show, you weren't Journal of Commerce. So give me a little bit of background on that for those listeners who... Sure. Have, yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I have to say 13 years of covering GT Nexus. This is the first time I've been at Infor or Bridges. Amazing. Always a schedule conflict. Oh, so. I, think, I think your invite was always lost in the uh, mail. That's right. It was lost in the mail. No, yeah. So in April, I moved over from American Shipper to Journal of Commerce doing sort of much of the same coverage stuff, technology uh, around logistics, global trade, maybe a little bit more focus on liner shipping. But yeah, uh, still trying to help shippers uh, understand what tech means to their day-to-day lives. So um, There's a lot to understand. There is a lot to understand. Yeah, absolutely. It's constantly changing, but that's why we all have jobs. So it's, it's fun that way. That's what I tell myself. <laughs> <laughs> So something that we've been talking about uh, leading up to this recording is that change, especially as far as it relates to carriers and really anyone that interacts with a carrier, going to affect them in the very near future. You want to explain sort of what the uh, IMO is pushing forward that's going to change the supply chain? So one of the advantages of being at JOC is we're part of a larger group called IHS Market, which legacy kind of intelligence company that has a real strong base in energy intelligence. So we get to lean on that group to kind of keep us abreast of what's going on on the energy side of things. And there's something that shippers probably are not too aware of right now, but really need to be that's coming down the pike in about 15 months. And it's a new fuel regulation that the International Maritime Organization is going to put into effect as of January 1st, 2020. And it requires ships, all ships, including container ships, to be running significantly lower emitting fuel. And that sounds like sort of a wonky ship operation type of concern, but the reality is that translates into extra cost for the shipping lines. And as we all know, over the last 10 years, shipping lines do not have a lot of extra, you know, buffer cash to throw at unexpected or extra costs that they were not maybe anticipating five years ago. So the reality is, I mean, what we're sort of hearing and seeing is that carriers are going to have to pass these costs on to shippers, their customers, forwarders, whether forwarders can pass that on to shippers eventually is, is up for debate, but whether carriers can pass some of these or all of these costs on. But Maersk is really the only line that's come out and sit and put a number to this, and they expect it to cost them $2 billion a year annually. Of additional cost. Of additional cost. And wow. so $2 billion would be a, a pretty solid year of profit for Maersk at this point. So to just say in an excellent year that we're wiping away all of your profit, this is clearly not something that they can just absorb. So it really, it's something that shippers need to have on their radar as they go into like procurement cycles next year. But there's also other, you know, kind of effects to this regulation that go beyond cost. And that's, you know, supply. Is there enough supply of this lower sulfur fuel to satisfy the demand? Container lines are going to be fighting with every other carrier out there to get that supply. So the costs could go even higher. And then, you know, is the supply going to be available in the ports where carriers like to fill up? And is that going to change their networks and sailing schedules? And how does that rebound back on shippers? Eric, do you think, obviously, it's 
it sounds like it's a motivation for sustainability and things like that. Do you think there's another alternative, which is shippers now try to switch out their fleets to more, you know, apologize for the, for the ignorance, but like electric run shipping or like others? Can they retrofit the ships yeah. to... Yeah, so that's an, and and I am far from the the expert on the state of vessels in terms of which ones are able to run on this lower fuel, which ones need to be retrofitted. To your point, this could well eventually be the impetus for development of, you know, LNG ships, electric ships, autonomous ships that are much more efficient. But those are sort of like, you're not going to be able to replace the entire fleet that's incapable of complying with this rule in a year, two years, three years, it could set in motion that, but that's, you know, you're looking at probably like a generation of ships as they get scrapped. I mean, there are some alternatives. There's these things called scrubbers that they sort of install in the smokestacks to filter out the sulfur. And that's a way of complying, but those, from what I understand, are not operationally so effective. You know, there's issues with everything in trying to comply with this. And so everything that's, has a cost. So Everything has a cost, exactly. It's not like the scrubbers come free. It's something that we've been reporting on. We just actually had a story come out from my colleague in Europe. But, you know, it's going to be kind of like when the VGM thing came up. You know, it, I see it as being that sort of thing, like where there's going to be this sort of, oh, when did this come up? Oh, it's a crisis. <laughs> oh, we're spending all of our time on it. And then they figure the it out thing will come on. out, we figure it out. But, you know, so it's it's something to think about. And from a budgeting perspective, if you're, you know, if you're moving ocean freight, you should plan on probably accounting for some extra cost next year in, in negotiations. And then if you're procuring sort of in a, in a sophisticated way with a tool, you need to think about like how you can lean on that to figure out other ways to extract value and, and maybe, you know, offer the carriers something in return for their extra costs that they're putting on you. So, yeah. Do you think it's going to be something where the ocean carriers that are ahead of this are going to get more business because people are going to say, hey, these guys have figured it out. Right, it's almost, you know, we work with some of our customers who look towards their suppliers and factories who are more sustainable and they're going to give them better rates and, and more business. Do you think this is in the near term and an opportunity for whatever ocean carriers were savvy enough to figure this out and maybe have transitioned, secured more supply to be able to go out and say, hey, you know, maybe the cost a little bit higher, but you could actually then turn around and say, hey, we're shipping with someone that's, you know, lower carbon lower footprint, carbon footprint yeah, right, right. look how great it is. And oh, yeah. by the way, you know, they've already figured out the cost structure. So we're, we're not incurring too many more costs. Do you think there's an opportunity for a couple of savvy vendors or savvy shippers in the near term? I don't think in the long term it's a big play, but, you know, the next year or two to say, hey, look, come work with us. Yeah. I mean, I think anything, the industry has always said it's crying out for differentiation. So, you know, whether that's kind of premium services in terms of speed or, Sustainability was, you know, kind of a hot topic 10 years ago as people were theorizing it would be that third component of rate service and sustainability and sustainability. It never really caught on that way. So maybe this is a chance. What I would say is like, there's so much for you guys see this, right? Mm -hmm. There's so much variety between shippers. Like they all have such different motivations and drivers. They all have, you know, core things. They all need to move goods from one place to another, but you very very well may be seeing shippers saying, "Hey, I want to be attached to the lines that are being more proactive and progressive yeah. about this." And but the cynical side of me is saying, on the ocean freight side, everything always comes down to price. Yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, there may be a line that says, "Hey, we've secured X amount of fuel. We have these things in place. We will be the only 100% compliant 
They're like, great. Uh, that guy's offering me a hundred less per box. So I'm going to go with him. Thanks. You know? So in a perfect world, yeah, I think this drives people. And I think long term it does. Yeah. You know, maybe after like we've all retired, but um, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't expect on, you know, January 1st, 2020 people to be saying, I'm, you know, I'm with the carrier that's the most sustainable. Sustainable. Yeah, I guess I'm just trying to draw sort of the lines, right? And I think we we see this where, you know, we did a survey, was it two years ago with YouGov that talked about our favorite group, the millennials, who mm-hmm. are more caught. I'm already onto the Gen Z. I know, I know. You know, they're more conscious about how their products are being shipped, sourced, sure. carbon yeah. footprint. And I'm just thinking, want, you know. They want to make a difference. In they the want world. to make a difference in the world. And they want to have, save that world for their kids. And I'm just thinking out loud, you know, is this another little piece of that puzzle that, again, someone can figure out and maybe make some hay. But I, I agree with you. So that's a good point, I think, from the perspective of, you know, we've all been talking about this in terms of, like, tech a lot. Like, yeah. The next generation of people who are going to be in manager and directorial and VP of supply chain roles, you know, like how are their tech preferences different? Like Mm -hmm. what type of system do they want to use versus what's been foisted upon them? You could very well see this generation say, you know, I want to work differently. I don't want it to just be about rates purely. And I'm not going to be poisoned by you know my mentors who said (laughs) it's all about rates or poisoned by finance who said you know your budget was this and so that stuff may change for sure and maybe it's part and parcel of the same discussion like if you're on a system that lets you you know say okay well our costs of shipping were x percent higher yeah but from a sustainability perspective we're this much better so from a marketing perspective we're this much better and you know we have we have better better sales of our product because people see us as a responsible company. We live in a world where we have to react to so many different changes in yep. the supply chain at large, right? So I mean, yep. we saw data before the trade wars began that said, we understand uh, us as the manufacturers and the various companies out there that yep. our costs are going to get more expensive. Sure. What likely will happen is we'll pass that cost on to the consumer. Maybe in the world of tariffs and border <laughs> regulation, you can do some things in the supply chain to avoid that. Perhaps you start sourcing in a different country or, you know, an area that's a little less developed and you kind of take the hit on quality or knowing who those suppliers are, things like that. But at the end of the day, there's this acceptance that uh, sometimes the near-term effect is that we have to... Costs go up. Costs go up. Costs go up. And and so it's just another situation where it seems likely to me that just adds more cost, more barriers, more um, challenges. Yeah. For anyone in the world. I, I think, uh, you know, that you can draw a line kind of, obviously different motivations, but you can draw a line between those two things because the the tariffs are, you know, going to implement some direct costs to at least, I mean, not on the retail cost, obviously, on the on the first sale cost, right? And, and those, and I think they have to be passed along. Everyone is so thin on margin for the most part especially in retail, not as thin as like, you know, commodities and stuff, but it's still, no one wants to be giving away 10% of their, you know, wholesale margin, right? So I think at some point we're going to, consumers are going to have to come to terms with some higher short-term costs. And maybe, you know, this fuel cost factors into that, you know, the fuel cost on an ocean freight, big picture cost, probably doesn't translate into as impactful into a consumer price as the tariffs do. But, you know, to your point about near sourcing, 
I've been reading a bunch from think tanks here in D.C. We're in D.C. right now. It's easy to get swayed by the think tanks here. And, you know, but this is something we've talked or, you know, the industry has talked about is like, you know, you put tariffs on things. You can't like in six months reorient a global supply chain that you've spent 30 years building and, and honing. And the same will go for this fuel stuff. Like if it costs too much to fill up in Singapore or in Asia writ large, you, you're not going to say, well, I'm going to move a factory from China to South America because the fuel is cheaper. Well, that's not really like a practical consideration. So it's just, it translates into those costs. So, you know, that's the dynamic right now is like, who is going to bear the extra costs? So I think eventually it, it rolls back into a situation where supply chain executives have to do what they always do, which is figure out how to get it from that t-shirt back down from $7 to $5. So I would imagine that that picture includes, you know, use of tech, better use of tech, improved data between now and then, all the fancy buzzwords that we hear about all the time. You know, those are the things that are going to drive those costs back down because there's always going to be something, yeah. you know, even once the tariffs end. Do you think, uh, you know, it's interesting because you talked about, uh, we talked about tariffs, you talked about this new sulfur law, things like that. It's all about shipping, ocean-bound shipping, things like that. On the flip side, we keep hearing about the consumerization, right? Getting manufacturing closer to the consumer, nearshoring. We've been hearing that now, I think, for 10 years. Do you think, or is there sort of a tipping point where, and this might not be it, but is this another example of, is there going to be a tipping point where some of these manufacturers are truly going to look at and say, you know, it's not worth it anymore to manufacture in Vietnam and ship it because I have all these tariffs. I have these new you know, rules and legislations about, about the sulfur, my shipping lanes uh, excrete. And, oh, by the way, on top of it, my consumer wants my product within days, not weeks, not months. And I'm going to incur, you know, more costs and less benefit by continuing to offshore this stuff. Let me not start thinking about putting plants in in where my consumers, Western Europe, South America, Mexico, United States, middle, wherever it may be, you think we're getting there? Or it was just going to be the same old, same old, as you said earlier, just cost being moved around. Yeah. I mean, well, I, you know, step back from like the current situation. I think, you know, most shippers are sort of, if not constantly, periodically looking at where the best place to source things are and what, you know, what free trade agreements to take advantage of. You know, that's something that should be like an ongoing question that they ask themselves, even when tariffs against China are not in place. <laughs> so if you aren't doing that legwork on a, on a regular basis, you're sort of not doing your job, not doing your job, yeah. you know? And so I think maybe this creates a little more expediency about doing some of those, like what if scenarios, like what if we move product A from China to Vietnam? What if we move product A from Vietnam to South America or Mexico what does that look like from a, do we have the inputs available to do that? I mean, if the only place that creates the inputs for your products are close to the factory in Asia, yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense to move the final assembly necessarily closer because you still have shipping costs of the inputs into those products. So it's such a complex equation and it's hard to boil it down to move it or don't. It's not such a binary question. So I think... To answer your question, I think we're certainly going to see, and we're already seeing like the impact of e-commerce on, you know, mode patterns. So definitely more on parcel, definitely more smaller shipments, more frequent shipments, more on air freight so that you can satisfy that quicker order to, you know, 
fulfillment piece. I don't see that slowing down. I think it's going to be incumbent on bigger shippers as they wrestle with the e-commerce situation and the tariff situation and some of these other costs to say what needs to go in those quicker, more expensive modes and what can we like plan way out in advance and move via ocean? Because even with the fuel costs, even with the tariffs, ocean freight is still such an order of magnitude less expensive than every other mode. You have so much more margin to work with, margin for error, I should say, to work with than you do. If you're shipping air freight or parcel, you got to nail everything else because the costs on that are so high. Okay. That makes sense. All right. Continuing challenges ahead. Another day in the life of a supply chain manager really is what a lot of this comes down to. All right. Eric Johnson, thanks for joining us. I think this is one of those ongoing discussions that we uh, can revisit time and time again. And and with our podcaster emeritus here, we'll, uh, we'll continue to have these sessions. That's right. <laughs> I have to say, because uh, I haven't had a chance to say this in person, congratulations to Les Bleus. Well, thank you. It's, yeah. it's well-deserved. Yeah. Obviously. Oh, <laughs> you see my They were the... Uh, they were the Best of a of a un uh, uninspired group whoa, of, whoa, of uh, whoa. superpowers. Uninspired. No, they were great. They were great. They just went, there was no there was no like clear dominant favorite. So they they were there were about ten teams that could have won it, and they rose to the challenge. And, so and they put another star on their on their kit. That's right. So that's all, that's that all that matters. That's all right? that matters. Listen, forget about <laughs> style and substance. It's just about stars. It's about results. Yeah, that's right. And that's yeah. really the foundation of this entire show. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Spud Chain Radio. I'm Matt Gunn. Find us on iTunes and Spotify and everywhere else so you can get a podcast. <laughs>